All right, you guys. So welcome back to the show. I'm honored today to have uh, Eric Inman. Uh, we practiced pronouncing his name before the show. As you guys already know, I have trouble pronouncing people's names as the most difficult task of the podcast. Uh, so I'm happy to have him on. And Eric, I'm going to let you kind of take over. And I just wanted to hear about your story. But mainly, I wanted to, I'm trying to get in a habit of inviting people on the podcast that live a true and honest health conscious lifestyle and have been doing it moreover for like a very long time and in a sustainable way. And then just asking them different ways of doing that. Because as you know, um, today in America, we have like nine out of 10 American adults that are metabolically unhealthy right now, uh, rounded up slightly. I mean, we have close to like a million people just dying from heart attacks every year, just in one country, which are like very preventable close to like 120,000 people dying from type two diabetes every year and about like give or take, depending on the statistics you look at, 60 to 75% of the country now being either overweight or obese. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel personally, uh, you know, being raised off grid by my grandmother in Ukraine initially, and then my parents were very health conscious, it came like very natural to me, and probably as it does for you, but for a lot of people, it could be just very confusing on um, just how simple it is really to live a health conscious lifestyle. The simple principle is simple in the sense that it's easy to understand, but maybe very difficult to implement in a world that doesn't really promote health conscious, uh, health conscious ideas and lifestyles. And I was just wondering if we can kind of start with, with your background way back when, when you first started uh, being health conscious and, and we can kind of go from there. Yeah. So, I mean, I've gone through various phases of wellness through life early on. It was team sports. I grew up playing basketball. I ran cross country. I ran track. I played little league baseball, senior league baseball, um, one year of football. So all the team sports and, you know, for me then it was just about having fun and I didn't really have any association with exercise other than I enjoyed it in the moment. And, you know, I wanted to be a professional uh, basketball player uh, when I was young, pretending to be Michael Jordan in my parents' backyard and having them lower my basketball hoop down to seven feet so I could stick my tongue out and dunk. Um, and then when I got to college, I played one year of basketball, sat the bench. Um, you know, my dreams of becoming a professional basketball player were stunted by only being 5'10". Uh, and I got into weightlifting in college, but it was very vanity-based, bench press and bicep curls. Um, actually, funny story. All I knew was bench press and push-ups going into college. That's all I did in high school. So I get to college and I thought that was weightlifting. I thought you just went in and like bench pressed every single day. It's push-ups. So about six months in, I met this guy, Ian. And Ian was like, what are you doing, dude? He's like, you got to do shoulders one day and you do back and buys one day and triceps one day, but never legs, never deadlift never functional movements. So mm -hmm. college was very just vanity based to have a big chest, to have big arms. Um, I thought that was fitness, the aesthetic side of it. And then after college, I got kind of out of shape in my first career. I was driving 50,000 miles a year, selling insurance in upstate New York. And um, I got up to a little over 200 pounds and had like a little flabby gut and, you know, certainly did not feel my best, but I had no correlation between how I felt and fitness. I still at that time thought that fitness was for an aesthetic not for a feeling. So my mid twenties hired a personal trainer to help me get back into aesthetically good looking shape. And that was about a two year journey of going and seeing a personal trainer five days a week for 30 to 45 minutes 
And he had me doing CrossFit type movements before CrossFit was really a thing. So functional lifts, back squats, front squats, deadlifts, thrusters. And then in between sets, he would have me run around on a track. So my heart rate was elevated the entire time. And, you know, I quickly got a six pack back and, you know, looked good again. I was also playing tennis four or five days a week. So I was getting in aerobic cardio. And then in my later 20s, I discovered triathlon. I had a lot of friends who had signed up for this half Ironman that was coming to Syracuse. And more than anything, I thought their bikes looked cool. They had four handlebars and I thought it looked cool how they were riding them in like a super aero position. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, ah, we're going to swim 1.2 miles, bike 56, and then run a half marathon after. I'm like, that sounds crazy. Does that take like four days? And uh, they're like, no, people do it in four hours. I'm like, what? That's crazy. So I signed up for a sprint distance triathlon. And, you know, that was the start of this wellness journey, really, for me. Um, that sprint distance triathlon led to an Olympic distance triathlon where I almost drowned in the swim. I had to side stroke and backstroke my way to get through it because I had no swimming background. But I passed a lot of people on the bike and passed a lot of people on the run. And it was super empowering. And with those longer sessions, and even with the personal trainer, I started to have the correlation between mental clarity, emotional well-being, being the best version of me, feeling like I could just be my authentic self and be vulnerable. You know, I started curbing, partying, and drinking, which I thought was the way to vulnerability and authenticity and how I would meet people. But I was building such incredible relationships with this new fit fam that I was meeting through triathlon. And, you know, I wasn't afraid of uh, public speaking anymore, or just like being myself, like exercise was fueling this insane amount of energy and, and mental clarity um, for me. So I started making that correlation. And then, you know, I got into Ironman and with Ironman, it's, you know, long training blocks, 20, 25, 30 hour weeks. And, you know, lots of time alone, solitude, which I think we all need. And during that time period, that's when I really started to make the correlation between exercise and how good I was feeling, not having any lull in the afternoon anymore, just always being energized, always being super clear. And, you know, then I started doing the recovery routine of sauna and, and cold exposure a little bit later. And, you know, that was just another form of well-being and just having mental clarity and, and, and energy um, and aerobic con or anaerobic conditioning and strength training with CrossFit, same thing. So over the years, I st just started making these links between, you know, exercise isn't just for an, an aesthetic, you know, it's for our mental well-being, emotional well-being, so that we have a full cup and, and we can give back. And, you know, that's really where I sit today is, all of these things I've learned over the years and the way I've been able to design my life around health and wellness protocols, I want to share that with others so they can design their lives so they thrive. Yeah, kind of going back a little bit in terms of what you mentioned as a, a career insurance man, salesman driving around a lot, I feel oftentimes um, certain careers, a lot of careers make it very difficult to maintain your, your like mental and physical health. Uh, can you touch on um, how being in that career kind of like affected you and then the difference when you obviously got out of that or the reasons for getting out of that? Yeah. So I think in life, we're often taught to compete with others and to compete over material things, to make more money and buy the bigger house and have the nicer cars and buy the nicer clothes and the fancy watches and the fancy wine. 
And, you know, that's just a trap. It really is. Um, you know, we were designed to move and move often. We were designed to be outside. We were designed to face various discomforts that the environment throws at us. We weren't designed for, you know, super high stress environments and, you know, all of the stimuli that's coming at us and the yeah. massive networks that, you know, we can accumulate now, you know, we were meant to be tribal creatures. So, yeah, I mean, I, I realized that the business world was forcing me to be someone who my soul didn't really want me to be. And through exercise, it was so soul satisfying. I'm like, this is how I really feel like I'm thriving. Why am I continuing to chase money and add all of these stressors onto my life that are creating inflammation and creating just poor health? So yeah, I mean, I, I think we all obviously have glass balls that we can't drop. You need some amount of money in order to have shelter and to buy food mm -hmm. and, you know, to have some things. I don't not like nice things, but I do think it can be a trap. And I think too many of us focus probably for too long on that monetary side of things, as opposed to focusing more on our health and well-being and human connection and getting outside and just like playing. I mean, when we're kids, like that's all we know is to play, to be outside and play with our friends. And, you know, I've really gotten back to that in many ways. And yeah, I'm so much happier. So yeah, my advice that I always give to people is if you're going to write one of these surviving chapters where you're just trading time for money, you know, try and pick something where you can at least build an asset and you can build residual income. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's a way to get out of that trap and then start building your life around these things that really bring you well-being. And if you can monetize that, then that's really the holy grail. Yeah, I found with some with some clients too, you mentioned like, oh, maybe, you know, like working 70 hours a week is an ideal, you know what I mean? You'd have an overall better quality of life if you, you know, you told me you didn't like your toxic coworkers or toxic work environment, maybe switching jobs, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't hear this often, but I do hear it from time to time. Their reply would be like, well, how could I like afford my high quality lifestyle then, you know? Mm -hmm. But I always ask like, oh, what do you mean like by high quality lifestyle? Uh, you're on three, four different medical drugs, you know, you're, you're very overweight, you're not happy with how you look. You mentioned you also just feel bad all day. And I feel like um, America is a unique place because kind of like what you hinted at in between the lines, they've been kind of like, for the most part, not the whole population, there are no absolutes, but a large portion of the population has been brainwashed to believe like what's non-essential is essential. And what's essential is kind of non-essential. And a lot of people would say like, Oh yeah, health is important. Mental health is important. But then when you look at their actions, their actions are completely different. Obviously, you know. Mm -hmm. um, what do you feel if because a lot of people do have trouble leaving their careers, you know, uh, even when they know it's the right thing to do. What was the last like straw for you, or may maybe mental switch that finally allowed you to make the leap, kind of like the leap of faith and try something new uh, and stuff of that sort. Yeah. So I think some of the keys are being mindful. You know, uh, there was a time period when I wrote out all of the people, all of the activities, all of the environments where I wasn't completely present, where my mind was wandering, where I was wishing I was with someone else, or I was doing something else, or I was somewhere else. 
And then I wrote down all of the times where I was super present. What was I doing? Who was I around? Um, what environment was I in? And then I started building my life around those things where I was just completely present in the moment, like really, really enjoying life. And, you know, ultimately that's why I moved to Denver, Colorado. I lived in Syracuse, New York, and, you know, my lifestyle had changed so much through Ironman that I wanted to be outside all the time where it's sunny all the time, where the mountains beg you to be, you know, in running in them and biking in them. And Syracuse is very different. You know, it was forced to be outside where it's rainy and cloudy oftentimes. And here in Denver, I really found my tribe. I found other risk takers and adventurers and people just like really pushing the limits of human potential. So, you know, finding your tribe is so important. And then I've designed my life around the activities that I want to be doing. I have my schedule blocked out for my morning workouts, my afternoon workouts, my recovery session. And some of that, you know, for me is, is multitasking. Like I can document a lot of the day and I can monetize that. And then human connection for me is built into my contrast therapy routine or my morning workout where I get to meet like-minded people or meet new people. Um, so I figured out a way to blend all of it in a way where I'm just really present throughout the day and enjoying everything that I'm doing. So yeah, that's the first step is just writing down all of those things when you're not present, the people, the, the environments where you're not present, and then doing the same for those positive things that bring you energy where you're completely present. You feel like you're giving value and getting value. And the other thing is, you know, figuring out a way to side hustle. If, you know, I get, you have the house, a family, you, there's glass balls you can't drop. So I think having that side hustle that is getting you closer to where you want to be is important without, you know, just completely ripping the bandaid off and leaving the high paying job. But, you know, starting to figure out like, how can I monetize my hobbies? You know, what, what is something unique to me that I can give to the world and add value to the world with? And I mean, the way that in our society, we determine value is oftentimes money. So, you know, if you can figure out a way to provide value in something you really enjoy doing, a hobby that you have, start doing that more and more in whatever free time you have. So you can move away from, you know, the toxic environment, the toxic mm -hmm. coworkers, the toxic people, um, the toxic job and, and move more towards that thing that just lights you on fire that you want to be doing all the time. Yeah. You mentioned like a couple of super important things that lay the foundation to a health and wellness journey. I think like in between the lines, I heard just being very clear on your core values as the foundation and blueprint in terms of what direction you want to go towards. But the big question is, especially like in your 20s, like, how do I know what I, what I am or what I like, right? In my opinion, like the only way to really know is to first do things you don't like and try to be consciously aware of them mm -hmm. and thank them, you know, when like a relationship doesn't work out, thank that relationship for showing you what you don't want in the next relationship or the job or whatever. And then over time, you get like more and more narrow about like what you do want to do. And then you have to take action on that, obviously. Mm -hmm. But is there any, are there any things that really helped you be crystal clear about your core values uh, or any kind of books you read? Because I know a lot of people just struggle with even knowing who they are first. And if like I go off Walensky's work, uh, he mentions like, oh, if you don't, if you don't know uh, who you are, you don't know anything. It's yeah. like, not like you can get half pregnant, you know, <laughs> yeah. Line, so. yeah, I mean, so when you're young, when you're a kid, you know, you don't really understand any correlations. You're just being, you're just existing, you're playing and you express emotions based on however you're feeling in the moment. You're not holding anything back. You're really just kind of your authentic self. 
And then, you know, I don't think as males, we're really, I don't think our prefrontal cortex is fully developed until we're in our 30s. So I really feel like our teens and 20s are exploratory chapters of life where we understand what it's like to thrive. We understand what it's like to survive. And um, that's a time to start writing out those things to start understanding what makes us tick. And it's different for all of us. And then, I mean, it was really in my 30s when I started figuring a lot of this out, having understood like, oh, okay, I can feel good all the time. There are things that detract from my energy and there are things that, you know, fill me up with energy and just be aware of that so that you can build your life around those things. And for me, it was having a lot of solitude with my endorphins racing during those Ironman years, you know, going on a two and a half hour run, going on five hour bike rides, doing an Ironman. I mean, they're almost psychedelic experiences. You just unlock this clarity of what you want your life to be uh, because of the extreme solitude and, you know, your, your narrowing of your aperture during those extreme exercise bouts. So, you know, I always tell people like, go for a run along the ocean. If you're, if your mind feels foggy and cluttered, you know, that always just clears my mind for me. If I'm outside doing something aerobic, go lift heavy weights, do something anaerobic. You know, those things are all incredible for your brain to just allow for really good cognitive function. Um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, you do have to play around a lot in, in your teens and twenties and figure out who you are and what you enjoy and how you want your life really to be designed based around, you know, all of those things detracting or energizing you. Um, so that, that's what it was for me. It was the Ironman years where I really unlocked this window of how I wanted my life to be designed because I realized what things were making me the best version of myself. Yeah. And I feel like what you said right there is kind of like what real medicine actually looks like. And I wish that was prescribed more often, you know, identify your core values, identify who you are, and then get your like weekly schedule to line up either fairly close or like exactly with what you want to see, because then there's obviously going to be way less or no maladaptive behavior. Because obviously if there's a story gap in your life and you want your life to be a certain way and it's a completely opposite way, like for me, I like working remote, you know, two days a week at home. If I was obviously working in the office six days a week in person, that would be the complete opposite of what I would want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And maybe not in the beginning, but over time, maladaptive behavior has to form to deal with the story gap. And how people uh, kind of go about doing that is different. A lot of people just use food as a source of comfort, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe if they have a story gap in their life, they want to be like an artist, for example, but they feel you know, they, they maybe didn't have the self-esteem you had. And they're like, well, uh, I don't feel safe expressing my artistic side in the sense that I don't feel I could be able to sell my art and make an income. Thus I'll be homeless and I'll be in like physical danger, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So they, they get, they go into something like mainstream, you know, let's say like being a lawyer or something of that sort, nothing wrong with the occupation. If it's for you, it's for you for sure. Uh, but like this person genuinely wanted to be an artist. So in the beginning, obviously it'll be like, It'll be fine, you know, the, the income would be great, but two years, three years goes by, the long hours, et cetera, at the back of the head, they know they just wanna be, like you mentioned, outside, maybe painting some art, you know, the beach or something of that sort. And that's always gonna wear them down. And at that point, um, like I found, especially with, with fat loss clients or any clients that are looking to overcome some chronic health issues, even if they successfully manage to treat those symptoms of excess fat gain, or chronic health issues, but they stay in the same environment 
that those issues have arisen in, the chances of them relapsing is extremely high. Like, can you kind of go back to, let's say you're still doing the insurance thing. I mean, do, can you even like uh, hypothesize like if everything you've done in terms of maintaining your mental, spiritual, physical health would even be possible at that point? Like, where would you be today if you're still in that job where there's clearly a story gap for you? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think we all face these junctures in life where, you know, looking back, you're like, wow, I'm glad I picked that direction. And I, I mean, I had the opportunity to buy an insurance agency in upstate New York that probably would have trapped me there for a while. And I would, I may not have found, you know, triathlon, I may not have found um, the ability to take risks to create other startups. And every, I mean, everything in life is sets and reps. And um, the more risks you take, the more comfortable you get taking risks. You know, that's, that's for the artist out there. Like you just, you know, you're probably going to fail your first few times in what you do with these risks, but you have to understand that all of the people, the majority of the people that you see who are super successful in whatever craft they're in, you know, they just got good at taking risks and then they stuck with something long enough and they were just consistently unremarkable day in and day out until they re were re remarkable. So I, I think that's the thing that people have to understand is that, you know, there's very rarely just luck, you know, not a lot of people just win the lottery, <laughs> you know, there's, it's generally someone who focused on one thing for long enough that they became remarkable at it. And they probably failed along the way until they finally got to that place where you're like, oh my God, that's crazy how successful they are or how happy they are, wherever they are. So yeah, again, I think it's just realizing that we only live once and, you know, we're all probably going to have a roller coaster ride of life where we're going to go in and out of these surviving and thriving chapters. And for me, I just I know what routines I want to keep in my my day to day that get me out of any rut whenever I'm in one. So um, you know, that's again, what the Ironman years taught me is that, you know, exercise, you know, makes me happy, sauna, cold exposure, that makes me happy, being around like-minded people, that makes me happy, being in areas where I have easy access to the outdoors, that makes me happy. And then on the other hand, you know, being in super busy cities with um, high stress where it's hard to get a reservation at a restaurant. It's hard to park. People are yelling at you and honking at you. Like, I don't really enjoy that. And, <laughs> you know, there's, I don't enjoy chatting about politics. So, you know, I don't surround myself with people that are always talking about politics or watching the news. And, you know, I don't enjoy negative people. So I avoid that. So there's these things in my life that I avoid at all costs. And there's these things in my life that I do every day at, at all costs. How do you, what's your opinion today on like uh, the healthcare system in the U.S. in general? Do you feel it's doing more harm than good? Yeah, I mean, there's so much money in it that it's so, it's difficult to know who's looking out for you and who's looking out for their pocket. <laughs> um, you know, I do not go to a doctor. Um, I have functional care friends in my life that I'll see if something is going wrong. 
Um, I do get blood work twice a year, but it's through a friend's company who, you know, generally is going to prescribe various behavior changes if something mm -hmm. is going wrong, as opposed to medications. Um, they also can prescribe supplements and, and hormones and peptides. Um, I'm always going to go the route of, you know, what would our cavemen do to fix this as opposed <laughs> to the route of, you know, modern medicine fixing some kind of thing that could be fixed with a behavior change. I think our medical system is great for acute injuries. Mm -hmm. Break your leg. Yeah, um, you know, I, I crashed on my mountain bike three years ago and see, I had to get, you know, stitches and, um, you know, things like that. Yeah. Our medical system is one of the best in the world at, but, you know, addressing things that could be fixed with behavior changes, probably not the best at, um, and I, I think that's where social media has really come in handy for people to hear others sharing their journey of, you know, I had tremendous anxiety and then I found cold exposure and I don't have anxiety anymore. Um, or, you know, I, I had very low testosterone levels and high cortisol for my high stress job. Then I, and I was sitting 12 hours a day and I wasn't exercising. And then I started exercising and eating animal-based foods. And all of a sudden I wasn't as stressed out and flamed. I lost weight. I'm happier. My marriage is better. I'm better to my kids. So I, I think that social media has, has really done, a, you know, it has been a blessing for people to be able to consume information outside of, you know, our traditional healthcare messaging. Um, but, you know, I, I think it serves, a, I think it serves a purpose, you know, if we didn't have healthcare, then, you know, I mean, our cavemen, they break a leg or something like that, they might die. And now we don't die from stuff like that. So that's mm -hmm. good. Yeah, for sure. For the emergency situations, they're true, like angels in the sky, no doubt about it. I was moreover referring to exactly what you alluded to, uh, health issues due to maladaptive behavior or behavioral patterns that over, you know, sometimes decades take to actually hit in. But I, the, my only question with like the uh, like medical care system in terms of treating symptoms because of poor behavior, like high blood pressure, for example, right? It's like, okay, you have high blood pressure, they give you high blood pressure medication. And the really it should just be high blood pressure drugs, they should just put drugs at the end of it, they kind of like, um, smooth it over with the word medicine, but really, if you just kind of just look at all of the side effects of any drug, which every single one has, it's probably like 10 times more than whatever it's treating. But let's say you have like high blood pressure and a doctor prescribes you high blood pressure medication. Just the only issue I have with that system is the belief system that led to the high blood pressure over a long enough time period is going to lead to a myriad of other health issues. So what's like, what's the person's solution then, you know, like two years later, they're going to have another health issue, then another drug. Now they're going to have the side effect from the first drug and they need like two drugs for that, et cetera, et cetera. And then by the time they're 50 or 60, they're like 30 or 40 pounds overweight or more and on more medical drugs than ever and looking far worse than ever. And the doctors still prescribe them these drugs. And I think at that point, it's kind of unethical, you know, I think what they should be prescribing is exactly the medicine you're talking about, the real stuff that actually makes you makes you healthy. Like, do you are you currently on any medical drugs, for example? Yeah, I mean, I can't even tell you the last time I took uh, over the counter drug like ibuprofen. Um, yeah. No, I I haven't been. I I got allergy shots in my teens. Obviously, that was a parental decision. Um, I had no knowledge back then that you know potentially exercise or being outside more, or getting sunlight could fix some of these things. 
but I haven't taken medication since my early 20s. And by by medication, I specifically mean like taking Tylenol because I was so hungover. Um, so yeah, no, I, I do not take any medications. And, you know, technology and scientific invention, it's a blessing and a curse. Like ultimately, we're kind of in this comfort crisis right now of people just want the easy way instead of facing a little bit of discomfort every single day so that you have general you have your well-being um you know they just want the quick comfort fix so that they don't have to get uncomfortable because let's face it you know what i did this morning my 20 minute imam of assault bike intervals and uh step ups with a weight vest like it was uncomfortable in the moment there were a few times where i was like you know, I could quit, I could stop, I could back off on on the intensity, but I didn't because I know how good I'm going to feel afterwards. So my theory is, you know, discomfort every day, because it's going to help prevent massive discomfort down the road. And I know that I have full control of being able to fix pretty much anything that is happening within me with the exception of, you know, getting some kind of rare disease or, you know, the accident happens mm-hmm. you know, where you get hit by a car or whatever, then, you know, the medical system is going to help tremendously with that. But other than that, like I, I have full control and I want to have full control of how I feel day in and day out. And I'm willing to put in the work and to have that discomfort built into my day so that, you know, I feel my best. Yeah, and, and one thing I do hear people say this phrase, oh, wanting a quick fix. But the problem is, is it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It would be one thing if it was actually fixing something, but it doesn't. You know, <laughs> Like I mentioned, there's like a myriad of side effects from every single drug. If you take it long enough, you're going to need to take more drugs for those side effects. And it's kind of like a ripple effect. And the, the main problem is the belief system that led to the problem was never dealt with and never changed. And if you never change the person that's causing the problem, the problem will always keep coming back or like another symptom will come back. And, and the person is just chasing symptoms their entire life. Maybe lottery winning luck, they, they crush one symptom and it definitely goes away. Just another one's going to pop up right away. And you're spending your whole entire life. A, I know it's not all about vanity, but I feel it does play a big part in your health and wellness just looking good you know because i feel if you look good you don't need to be like all arnold out or anything or anything of that sort but if you look good you feel good you know if you have like good skin complexion like you do like good healthy looking hair it plays a big role in your self-esteem you know if, if you don't have like a huge belly sticking over your your uh, belt line which is all easy to do when you master uh the stuff you're talking about which is like i said in the beginning easy to understand intellectually and a lot of people get confused there because they're like, okay, I get it. But that's not where the benefits come from. The benefits come from actually doing it consistently as well, because the body depreciates so quickly. If you're not doing it on a consistent basis, it really it doesn't have that much value, you know, okay. uh, and stuff of that sort. Do you feel, um, do you feel Social media, I feel, is like a double-edged sword, especially for people that are starting the health journey and might not be like you surrounded by a bunch of health pe- health health conscious people to guide them in the right direction, mm-hmm. and they can get lost on different avenues. Do you have like any tips on how a person can navigate the social media space when looking for honest answers? Yeah, I mean, I think social media is a blessing and a curse. It's great for inspiration. It's great for lots of content is out there. 
Um, I think it's important to, you know, to do your own research, you know, tune into lots of people, but, you know, figure out a scenario that works best for you and also try and find people that, you know, are, are super credible. Um, and, you know, that can be difficult with social media now because it's, it's becoming a big monetary play. Um, so yeah, I think it's a great place to be inspired. It's a great place to, um, to learn, but, you know, I think take some of these things, tinker with them and see what works best for you because so many of, so, so much of it is going to be based on how easy it is for you to incorporate something you see, you know, it is, does your environment allow for that? Like I mountain bike all the time. My environment allows for that because it's right out my backyard, you know, for someone else, tennis might make more sense because there's a tennis court around the corner. So I think you need to figure out what are going to be the things that are sustainable for you with health and wellness that you can replicate day in and day out. Um, where you find your tribe, my tribe might be different than your tribe. You know, you need to find your own tribe where you just feel completely present and you feel like you're getting value from them and you're, you're giving value to them. That ultimately is a win-win relationship. And, you know, what does your environment allow for easily where you can sustain it on a regular basis um, and you enjoy doing it? You know, it might not be like my CrossFit workouts completely enjoyable in the moment, but I always enjoy it afterwards because I feel so energized after it. And I, I like progress-based things. So that's what I always look for is, you know, what is something that is going to allow for progress if I am consistent with it? Mountain biking, uh, Olympic lifting, gymnastics, like all of them require skill and patience. And I, I like things like that, where I can work towards something. So that's an important metric for me. So yeah, to go back to your question, like I consume content. I mean, there's people out there who inspire me and ultimately I try things on my own. We're all our own scientists. So I think you need to take that information and then, you know, give it a whirl for yourself and see if it works for you. And if it's something you can replicate. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. I'm curious, have you ever been confused by the labels in the grocery store? In Yevgeny's book, he demystifies the difference between caged, cage-free, free-range, and pasture-raised meats. He also covers how to avoid GMOs, source high-quality water, fish, supplements, and other related topics. It's a beautifully illustrated, non-technical read that comes with a comprehensive video series and other extended learning materials. Jump on Amazon and check out the book titled Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide by Evgeny Trefkin. Now let's dive back into the podcast. Do you tend to, do you tend to follow more of like the kind of like, uh, I'm not going to uh, mention any names, but do you tend to more follow more of like the science-y approach to health and wellness or more of the guys that actually kind of like do it consistently and they might be categorized just kind of like bro science, although I hate that phrase because if they're able to do it consistently, it works for them, you know, and stuff of that sort, which way do you tend to lean? Yeah, I'm probably 80% people that are out there doing it, you know, self-experimenters, people that practice what they preach and, you know, maybe 10 to 20%, I'll tune into a more scientific type podcast of, you know, something where someone is regurgitating white papers. Um, I mean, I would be lying if I told you that what I did today is 
that I'm thinking about when I'm 70 years old. Like I'm really doing today what makes me feel good today, but also doesn't have consequences on tomorrow. You know, you could say that drinking alcohol or doing drugs makes you feel good, but there's likely consequences tomorrow from doing that. So I like things where I feel good today and I can do it again tomorrow and I can do it again the next day and I can just keep rinse and repeating. And, you know, that's why I do the exercise variation that I do of anaerobic conditioning, aerobic conditioning, strength training, skill-based activities with risk associated with them. And then I have my evening contrast therapy routine of doing sauna and my ice barrel, because I know I can do that day in and day out, feel good day in and day out with no consequences. And then sure, I listen to Andrew Huberman or, you know, someone speak about the long-term benefits of it. And I'm like, cool, well, that makes sense. Like I feel good every day. And they're telling me that it's going to increase my health span and lifespan. I'll keep doing it. But, you know, I, I'm not thinking about when I'm 70 today, I'm thinking about, I feel great today and <clears throat> there's no consequences from it. I feel great again tomorrow. Yeah. And I feel like one thing with uh, doing a tremendous amount of research on human health, like mental or physical health, I mean, now we have more than ever and the country has been the sickest it's ever been. I think it's easy to assume it's like, dude, you just got to go back to living like a human being. Because guess what? <laughs> You're a human being. <laughs> Last time I checked, yeah. you know? we don't need any, we really don't need that much more studies, especially like on nutrition, what real food is. It's like, just eat real food, like single ingredient food. You know, if you look at the back of a bag of almonds, it should, it should just say almonds, not like almonds and 50 other things, you know, or like whatever stuff of that sort. Uh, but I just feel like, man, it's like, we're moving further and further away from also common sense on health and wellness. Like exactly, you mentioned, like if people on their show, if people just like genuinely mastered that and did that, that's it, you know, outside of actual injuries and stuff of that sort, that's it. You'll be healthy your entire life, you know? And if you look at, like you mentioned, cavemen or hunter gatherers, it's like, dude, they didn't have a 401k plan. They didn't have like a health guru. They didn't have a million scientific papers. And they're all like super jacked mm -hmm. uh, and in great shape, you know, and stuff of that sort their entire life. And if you look at, if you take out child mortality, I mean, they lived into pretty old age as well. So that mm -hmm. myth of them dying like at a very young age is, is false also. Um, I don't know. I feel like a part of me is a little bit torn. I feel sometimes a lot of that just confuses the average person more, you know? And um, a lot of that, unfortunately, like you mentioned too, is politicized for monetary gain and sets them down the wrong path, you know, and stuff of that sort as well. Uh, where I'm just, I'm totally with you. I'm like, dude, you just need to like master the basics and basically live like a human being was designed to live and everything will sort itself out. Like I feel, I don't know if uh, you're also in the mindset and you're welcome to say I disagree, but I just feel like a lot of um, health experts these days are not healthy themselves, A. B, they're, some of them actually are super smart. But what I feel what's going wrong is instead of like stepping out of the swamp, you know, let's say they're in a swamp, they learn how to tinker and they try to tinker and change this and change this while living in a state of pathology. You know what I mean? Let's change this, this, but they don't change the underlying fact that they're just not living like human beings anymore. Like, dude, it's not normal to sit at a computer 10 hours a day. It's not normal to have abundance of micro and macro stresses all day every day from a myriad of different variables to eat highly inflammatory foods etc cetera, etc cetera. and my model is 
and I got this from my grandmother and guys like Paul Check later on and, and guys like many, many guys like you as well, is like my grandmother lived off grid her whole entire life. And she lived to be in perfect health until 87. You know, she never went to the doctor. Uh, she attended the ranch herself as well, for the most part, in the last final years. And she didn't she didn't have all this health. She definitely didn't have YouTube, I, pro I promise you, to guide her in the journey. But she just instinctually already mastered a lot of the basic stuff that, that you mentioned. She wasn't doing the intense workouts or anything. Uh, but she was definitely eating a like legitimate organic diet, pretty much only drinking water and tea. And that's it. Those, those are main liquid substances and stuff like that. But I'm like, dude, like instead of tinkering in the swamp, like why don't you just step out of the swamp, you know? And then things resolve themselves. I don't know if you you ever you ever get that feeling, you know? Yeah, I mean, I 100% think about all of the things I do and associate them back to why they would make me feel so good based on our ancestral evolution. You know, the why lifting such heavy weight and why going anaerobic and why aerobic and why being outside and why being exposed to the cold, why being exposed to the heat. All of that makes us feel so good because it's in our DNA. Like all of these things are how we were designed to thrive and fight off predators and find shelter. And we were exposed to all of it. And you know, we've built this world of comfort and you have to get away from some of those comforts to really thrive now. And you, you have to build in these things that once you, you didn't have to think about, they were just there. I mean, it was a fact of the matter that you were outside all the time and a fact of the matter that you had to go and find food and a fact of the matter that you had to fight every once in a while. And, you know, so yeah, I agree with you that the more you can think about living like our ancestors lived and incorporate some of those things into your life. In addition to, I do think it's nice that we now have homes and we have cars and we can, you know, fly places like some of it, I do think is great because, you know, I can go and visit my close friends in Nashville today if I want to, you know, it's just a booking a flight away. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, we, we do have to get back to what are these things ancestrally that allowed us to thrive and incorporate some of those things into our life that, you know, may not be in our lives now because it's just too easy to crank the heat and have the air conditioning on and not exercise and just go to the grocery store and buy a ton of food. And it's all so easy now. So yeah, again, like all of these things that billions of us have invented over time to make money, some of it is certainly hurting our well-being. Yeah. How do you feel? How do you feel in terms of the human race moving towards more of like a cyber sapien kind of progression? Which I think is gonna we'll definitely see hints of that in our lifetime for sure, I feel. Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm like, well, shoot, like people are overloaded now let's kind of implant a chip in their brain so they can do even more work, you know, and be more productive. I just don't know. I just think that would be pretty disastrous if people don't return back to mastering all of this basic lifestyle stuff that we've been talking about. And then on top of that, they're unhealthy and they put them even more on overdrive. I just think that would be pretty disastrous personally uh, for the health of the entire human race moreover. Yeah, I agree. Again, you know, there's billions of people in this world that are creating things and making money and some of them are to our fault. So yeah, I do think that's one of those things where we have to be 
careful how absorbed we get with it and how much of it takes away from in-person human interaction, which is really how I think we were designed to really feel fulfilled. Um, you know, I do think that, you know, I mean, we're on a zoom call right now to have this conversation, mm-hmm. to put this out in the world. So, you know, some of it definitely helps. Um, it has certainly helped with, you know, manifesting or, or attracting opportunities financially into our lives, but, you know, would it be even a tribe of a hundred people that all lived near us and we just bonded with those hundred people? I don't know. I mean, we we're getting so far away from that, that, yeah, maybe our species is evolving to be more of a cyber species. I, I don't know. I mean, that's scary to think about, but you know, it certainly seems like it's moving that way. I mean, the the people that rule the world, they're moving it towards a cyber place where you can connect with anyone, anywhere, and they're trying to make it feel more and more like it is in person. How's your How's your nutrition currently like? Like, what do you focus on in terms of like eating? How does that look like? Yeah, animal based. Um, I generally build my calories throughout the day. So I start with lighter meals and then dinner is when I have my largest meal. And the reason for that is for me, there's a direct correlation between food volume and mental clarity. I feel best if I'm eating just enough so that I'm not hangry and I'm not, you know, uh, not energized but I don't want to eat so much that it detracts from my energy because that energy is going to break down the food and that it detracts from my mental clarity. So I'm generally doing smoothies throughout the day or I'm doing eggs and like chicken sausage. Um, I'll have one or two meals earlier in the day, generally one post-workout at 11 a.m. And then after my aerobic session in the afternoon, I might have another smoothie. And then at dinner, I'll do either a steak or burgers or chicken thighs, fish, um, some kind of carb like potatoes or rice. And, you know, I might have some fruit too, if I want some kind of dessert, that's five days a week. And then um, two days a week, I'll go out to dinner and I'll have dessert. I'll, you know, I very rarely am eating processed foods. I very rarely am eating foods that I know are going to heavily affect how I feel the next day, but you know, I'm also not perfect. Like I'm having sugar here and there. If, you know, we're at a fancy restaurant, you know, I'll probably overeat and I'll probably get a slice of carrot cake or cheesecake or something. Uh, But for the 90% of the time we're home, we're eating here, we're controlling what we're putting in our bodies. And I never veer from the plan unless it's dinner time when I know I don't have to be super on it afterwards. Do you, how's your sourcing like? Are you a big believer in like organic or pasture raised meats or do you just kind of buy whatever at the grocery store? Yeah, no, we we get our meat from ranches generally that are grass fed, grass finished, organic, regenerative agriculture. Um, Wild Idea Buffalo is where we get a lot of our buffalo meat. Carter Country Ranch is where we get um, a lot of our uh, cow meat. And uh, yeah, I mean, if we go to Whole Foods, we're generally getting organic fruit, organic vegetables. Um, I'm not going to farmer's markets all the time. Like, you know, there is a convenience factor to it. Uh, But we are cognizant of, you know, if you're putting high octane gas in your Ferrari, it's going to perform better. So I want high octane fuel. So I perform physically and mentally. Again, mentally is such an important part of this. Um, You know, there's a correlation between eating shitty food and having brain fog. And I don't want brain fog. I want to feel good all the time. And I want to be on all the time. 
Yeah, I'm doing a one-year experiment on this year on just eating wild game and wild fish. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to make too big of a difference. I mean, my blood work was already like pretty good already. Uh, I'm curious if you've experimented with that. Like I'm mainly like two days a week eating elk, two days a week deer, two days a week, some kind of wild fish variety, and maybe one day a week, like either grass-fed bison or beef from like an AGA certified ranch. For the listeners, you can check out like americangrassfed.org if you want like actual certified ranches that deliver to your house too. You don't even need to buy it for local people if it's inconvenient for you because some people just don't have it near their area. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, I'm sure it will work. I have never gone extreme in any one direction. Um, I think that's a good thing. You know, (laughs) not that that is even extreme from an ancestral standpoint, but I've always been a little more balanced. You know, I've never gone completely vegan. I've never gone completely vegetarian. I've never gone completely just meat diet, never gone just completely fruit diet. I've always kind of had a mix, but I have dabbled over the years in trying a higher fat diet with less meat, trying a higher meat diet with less carbs. So I've tinkered some with these different things, but never super extreme with it where I was, you know, could be classified as, you know, just meat based or just vegan. Are you, are you picky about what kind of supplements you have? Yeah, I, I, uh, I, try to, I mean, I work with a lot of supplement brands, so I'm fortunate that I'm able to get very high quality supplements. I think supplements are the icing on the cake, you know, Mm -hmm. like my four pillars are, you know, exercise specifically getting outside aerobic exercise, anaerobic exercise, lifting heavy weights, getting my heart rate above 155. Um, that, you know, that is my number one pillar. Number two pillar is nutrition, you know, eating animal-based foods, things you could forage outside, um, getting some fiber in, Number three pillar is sleep, you know, getting at least seven hours, more uh, often eight plus hours of sleep every single night and doing my best to not let anything get in the way of that and recovery routine, sauna, cold exposure. Those are my four pillars. Supplements, you know, I think they're, they're beneficial, but dial in those four things first and then start dabbling with these supplements. You know, I don't think if you start taking creatine tomorrow, but you do none of those other things, it's going to be much benefit. You start taking athletic greens tomorrow and you don't do those four things, you know, there's not going to be much benefit. So get those four in. And then, you know, I supplement with caffeine. I love having coffee in the morning. I think that for me is a, uh, physical and mental boost for my, for my day. Um, I take, uh, colostrum every single day and keep in mind too, I, I get a lot of this for free. I work with a lot of these brands, so, you know, it's, it could add up over time. And I think this is one of those things where you should get blood work and see what you're deficient in so that you're supplementing with the right things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, vitamins and minerals, taking, taking a product like athletic greens or beam core, um, just to make sure that you're covering all of your bases with getting vitamins and minerals in, if you're not eating, you know, vegetables or not eating meats, um, in, in, you know, on a regular basis, um, magnesium, L-theanine, GABA, all of that stuff in a product called beam dream. I have that at night as a sleep supplement. Sleep is so important to me. Um, and creatine, I take creatine every single day and have for years, I do five grams pre five grams post. 
Um, you know, I'm in a phase of life where I'm trying to get to the CrossFit games. So, you know, I need to continue to maintain muscle mass and, and try and continue to build muscle mass to get there. So creatine is super important for that, but also there's so many studies about the neurological benefits and other health benefits of creatine. So those are my main things that I'm taking, but get those four other pillars in first and then start dabbling with different supplements, get blood work done, see what you're deficient in. Yeah. And then Eric, to kind of close it out, I feel this part is super important in the health journey too, but not really covered in your routines. And that's like your relationship with yourself and your interpersonal relationships in terms of like who you actually get into relationships with, I feel are like pivotal. Uh, can you talk about like different, different ways you, I guess you have like a relationship with yourself to manage yourself like more health in a healthy way and a more balanced way? I mean, I think it's understanding how you thrive again, like structuring in all of these wellness routines so that you're showing up as the best version of yourself and, you know, being pretty non-negotiable with them or figuring out a way where you can continue to juggle those glass balls you can't drop, like, you know, being a father or being a husband or, you know, owning a business and being good to your employees. Like, I understand that there's things that you can't neglect but how can you incorporate enough of these wellness routines in so that you are the best version of yourself, your cup is full and, and you can give back. So yeah, those things are super important to me. Yeah. And I feel that's critical because you could only give as much as you have, you know, and if you don't have that much energy, first of all, you're probably showing up like super short tempered all the time, which isn't going to be great for long-term relationships either. And I also find I'm actually rewinding way back in this last topic here. I'm actually rewinding way back here. You mentioned the importance of building like assets that generate like income for, for you. And I feel that's huge. And that took me like quite a while to understand as well. Um, sure. I mean, my first business was a residual income business, property and casualty insurance and an asset. So, you know, that paved the way to being able to take other risks, investing in companies, starting other companies. Um, and also, you know, having the financial side down. So I had more freedom and flexibility to design my day the way I wanted to, you know, I, I hired someone after building that business for seven years to handle the day to day that freed up a lot of my time. And now, I mean, the last five or six years for me has been investing in companies, consulting companies and documenting my days and monetizing exactly what I want to do each day, who I want to talk to each day and, and the environment that I want to be in each day. So um, yeah, I mean, that's something I always tell people is if you're, you are trading time for money, like make sure it's how you want to be spending your days. And I am trading time for money right now, but I would be doing the exact same things I do every single day if I wasn't making money doing it. So that's the place that you want to get to. So yeah, build these residual income streams so that it frees you up to have the time and flexibility to structure your days the way you want to, and then figure out, you know, how can you do your hobbies and things you love and be around the people you want to be around and, and make money from providing value through doing that. Yeah. And there's a really good book. I forgot the author's name, but it's called like the psychology of money. And he mentioned like one thing, one overriding variable that people say that makes them happy is having autonomy, mm -hmm. you know, which I think is, is huge and in, in freedom of time and stuff of that sort, not have to really depend on, you know, kind of like a father figure telling you what to do all the time, how to dress, when to show up to work, et cetera, et cetera, which is okay in the beginning of your career. But then as you get older, you know, you kind of know you're more clear about what you want and you just have to kind of go after that and stuff of that sort. And I feel like all of these things are super important in a health, in a health journey, you know, not just like 
a lot of people unfortunately just approach it. I got to work out more and eat better, you know? Sure. That's like the symptom management part of it, but then you have to set the foundation by doing all this other stuff you mentioned to make that a sustainable and enjoyable process. You know, sure. You can climb like Mount Everest every day, but wouldn't it just be easier to go walk at a park, you know, to accomplish the same goal, for example. Um, so I go, I go by that motto. And Eric, you kind of, you have like a, a workout app people can use to help them in their journey. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I do. Yeah. I have strength and conditioning programs on there. I believe they're 12 week programs. I have a high rocks program on there that incorporates running along with the strength and conditioning. Um, it's uh, five days a week with two lower intensity days. And I also have recovery routines built in there too, for people that, you know, only have access to maybe a bathtub, Epsom salt baths. So it's ericinman.app for that program. Okay, cool. Well, thanks, Eric. I know you're busy. I appreciate you a lot for even taking the time to to do this podcast with me. It was great to know you. Uh, for the listeners, the first time actually uh, chatting to Eric, we kind of messaged back and forth a little bit, but I've been following his page for quite a while and his workouts always, always motivate me. I mean, I'm like, damn, I don't work out that hard at all still even to this day, but it's impressive. It's impressive to watch, you know? So, um, so thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for being a role model of how going on an honest health and wellness journey looks like. And it's not for everyone, but for people that are interested in going on an honest journey, just check out Eric's page. And you'll have glimpses of at least what works for him. It might not, all of it might not work for you, but you'll have a general idea of at least what it looks like. And then you're going to need to customize it to yourself, of course, as time goes on. So I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, have a good weekend, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you've ever had trouble losing weight or you've lost weight, but still didn't have the ideal body or health you're aiming for, please feel free to reach out anytime and book an assessment. Eugene will work with you to cover your goals in detail, see what's holding you back, and go from there. In the meantime, feel free to check out the countless testimonials on Eugene's website in the link below. In the testimonial section you'll notice everyone has various backgrounds, are of all different ages, and all have had different challenges in their life, but they all have one thing in common, they were all able to find their health, and achieve their ideal body. You're also welcome to add yourself to the Facebook group in the link below. There you'll have access to the live videos that Eugene does weekly on Sundays and other helpful content. Thank you again for tuning in.